really looking forward to, uh, do I have that on? Yeah. We're really looking forward to tonight, our truck retreat. I hope you're going to be a part of that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, see all the little kids in their costumes and having a great time. We, we actually sent, my wife and I went to a uh, truck retreat last night with our four granddaughters uh, at our daughter's church, and uh, it, was, it was great. It was, we had a ball over there. Uh, kids got dressed up in their costumes, and we took pictures and, and all that stuff that you do. Reminded me, actually, of a time several years ago when our, our oldest granddaughter, she's now eight, uh, but she, has, she was not quite two, just learning to talk, and it was a Christmas time. She was in her Christmas dress, and, and she had gotten one of these little um, playhouses, the fabric that are that have the spring frame that just kind of pop up, you know, and, and, and it was there, and she would run inside the house, and it had a little window in it, and she'd look out that, and she would say, book a bee, book a bee. And we said, what? Book a bee, book a bee. We didn't know what she was saying. Finally, we figured it out. She was saying, look at me, look at me. That was the best she could do, just learning to talk. It's real cute when kids are all dressed up and they're excited and, and they, they want you to look at them. It's not quite as cute when we get older and people still have to have that attention all the time, you know? Uh, it's a, a little bit different thing, although we are far more subtle in how we go about wanting uh, admiration and attention and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to read a story uh, in Acts chapter 5. I hope you got your Bibles with you. Turn to Acts 5, please, so you can follow along in just a moment. Acts 5, we're going through the, the beginning of the church as we see God grow his kingdom and, uh, and, and we've seen how the, the incredible, phenomenal beginning uh, took place and the marvelous things that happened. But then, then we saw, when we got to chapter 4, we saw that everything wasn't just a bed of roses. I mean, there were some real tough things that happened too. There was persecution that started to occur. And Peter and John were threatened by the religious leaders. Well, in chapter 5, we're going to see that the, one of the challenges the church faces here in the early days is not just persecution from outside, but there's something that's really even a greater challenge, and that is pretense inside the church. Uh, last, uh, at the end of chapter 4, we saw how people would, would, would sell property and, and, and donate the money to take care of people that were in need, people that were hurting, having difficult times. And, and one of those guys was a, a guy named Barnabas who did that. And then in the beginning of, uh, of, of chapter 5, let's, let's read beginning in verse 1. It says, now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yeah, she said, that's the price. 
And then Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. That moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. What, what do you do with a story like this? I realized I was preparing for this sermon. I've never preached on this passage before, and I, I think I know why. This isn't exactly one of those feel-good parts of the Bible, is it? One of those, oh, isn't it warm and fuzzy and, 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 and all marvelous? Basically, two people come to church, tell a lie, and drop dead right there. I mean, you kind of sort of wonder why Luke has this here, but more importantly, you wonder why, why does God respond to their sin in, in such an immediate and drastic way as this? I mean, we're talking about, you know, what God did through them. He's still doing through us today. But honestly, I don't remember ever seeing this happen in church that I've been to. Thankfully, it's never happened here at Greenville Oaks where somebody just kills over dead. I mean, can you imagine? What if, you know, we've got our benevolent contribution next Sunday. What if, you know, in order to kind of encourage people and inspire people, we, we invited somebody to come up and share their testimony, their story about what they're going to do. And some, some guy comes up and says, yeah, well, you know, we, uh, we had an old car we didn't need, so we sold it. We're going to give the money to the church. We said, you're going to give that for the benevolent contribution? He says, yeah, bomb, boom, he's dead right there on the spot. And, and they carry him out, and just about that time his wife walks in. She was out in the foyer and when, he, when all that was going on, and, and we say, you know, you did, how much did you sell that for? And she says, well, this much. He's in, boom, she drops dead. And then we say, anybody else want to share? <laughs> Doesn't exactly instill a lot of enthusiasm for that kind of stuff, does it? Some pretty heavy stuff here. I'm thankful that we haven't had that experience here at Greenville Oaks. To be more accurate, maybe I should say that we haven't had both parts of that experience, the dying part. I'm not sure we haven't had some of the other, maybe. Uh, unfortunately, you see, we live in a world today where misrepresenting truth in order to make ourselves look better has been developed into an absolute art form. I mean... <laughs> Just think about it. The, the election, thankfully, is only a few days away because aren't you ready for all those horrible ads to be off of the television? I mean, every time you turn it on, somebody is running their opponent down and building themselves up and all that kind of stuff. And who knows whether this stuff is true or not. It's not just politicians, though. I mean, <laughs> if you ever interviewed for a job and you, you, you took the job and when you got there, you looked around and you thought, boy, this is nothing like what they described it to be. But it's not just employers, it's, it's prospective employees that tend to pad their resumes, right? And, and in the world of sports, I mean, have you noticed what's been in the news the last few weeks about Lance Armstrong and, and the, the drugs he was doing when he was winning all those Tour de France races? Even though he vehemently denied every bit of it. 
Or, or what about Major League Baseball? For years, they've been plagued with all kinds of scandals about drugs, steroid use, and things. And it's not just, not just pro athletes. I mean, have you noticed what's been going on with the program at Penn State this year, the horrible things we're hearing about what happened there? And, and Joe Paterno, one of the most respected men in all of college football or, or other things for that matter, who, who was known for being a person of integrity, who cared about his, his students, who ran a tight ship, his career ends in, in disgrace, not because he was doing evil things, but because he didn't really want people to find out what had been going on. And I mean, just everywhere we turn, we see example after example in our world today of, of people wanting to appear so much better than they really are. Now, let's not take it too far. We're not suggesting here that, that these, these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, are some kind of spiritual ogres or some kind of, uh, of religious monsters or something. They, they weren't people that just had this insidious desire to do evil things in the church. No, to the contrary, we could have been any of us. I appreciate the way Max Licato describes what he envisions as, as what happens here in, in Acts 5 or maybe kind of what happens before this, this fateful encounter that they had. Maybe, you know, that, I mean, we've, we've read about all these people selling stuff and giving the money to, to take care of people that were hurting. And, 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 you know, he says, you know, they probably heard about Barnabas and what he had done. I mean, that's all the people at church could talk about when, when Barnabas gave this, this, this great gift. You know, maybe he sold a condo down in Jaffa or something and gave the money to them. And they're sitting there at, 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 at a restaurant at lunch after church that Sunday, and they're talking about what a great guy he was and how wonderful that was. But, but underneath those words of admiration, there's a definite hint of envy. Old Barnabas. I mean, everybody knows what a great guy he was. That's why they called him Mr. Encouragement. But they're talking about it. And, and they kind of, wow, wouldn't it be great to be known that way? And then suddenly Ananias remembers this, this, this lot that he has, this little, little parcel of land out at the edge of town, a little old two-lane road. His, his uncle had given him the money when he died. It was in his will, or given him the land. And he said, you know, it's not worth a whole lot now, but hang on to that because if they ever widen that road, when the, when the growth gets out to that part of town, it's going to really be worth something. And, and they just put the deed away and forgotten about it, and now Ananias remembers it. And he says to Sapphira, you know, we could sell that. It, it might bring $8,000, maybe even ten. We could give that to the church. We're never going to use that land. And she says, really? Wow, that would be really, that would be really cool. And so, and so the next Sunday at church, Ananias, when, when, when Peter's through preaching and he, he asks if anybody wants to share anything, anybody, you know, wants to, wants, wants to pray with the church or whatever, oh, Ananias comes forward. He says, you know, we've, we've got some land. We're going to sell it and we're going to give the money to the church. And everybody just breaks out in applause. He's kind of embarrassed, but he, he gestures to Sapphira there and she stands up and kind of waves. 
And then after, after church, they go home and he calls his local real estate agent and they list the property. And much sooner than they ever imagined, they have not one but two contracts. You see, the word is out. They really are going to expand that road. They're going to widen it because the, the, the growth is really big out there. And, and they've got two developers that, that both want that little parcel of land for a development that they're doing, that it's, it's adjacent to. They start competing for it, and now they have a contract for $15,000. That's almost double what Ananias thought it would bring. But now they've got a little bit of a quandary. I mean, that's a lot of money to give. You know, I mean, they were going to give eight or maybe a little more, but $15,000. They can't go back on their word, but wow. And we don't know who, who it was that came up with the idea first, but, but eventually one of them says, you know what we could do? We could just, we, we never dreamed of being, bring that much. Other people probably don't think it will. We, we could just give the church a check for $10,000. That's more than we thought it would bring. And, and we, could, we could just keep the other five in the bank. Nobody would know. I mean, no harm done. Everybody wins that way. And so they decided that's what they would do. Next Sunday, Ananias is up front again, handing Peter a check for $10,000. And after church is over, man, they have never had so many people come up and talk to them. And, and, and oh, man, it feels so good. They're one of the last people to leave that Sunday. After they get back home after lunch, they, Peter calls and asks Ananias if he'll come down to meet with the apostles down at the church. And he's getting ready to go. And Sapphira says, well, what do they want? And I said, I don't know. We, I didn't ask. Maybe, maybe they want us to serve on the benevolent committee or something like that. And so Ananias goes and Sapphira stays home basking in her newfound celebrity and dreaming about what they're going to do with that $5,000. And Peter walks into the meeting. Of, I mean, Ananias walks into the meeting. And the apostles are already there. And it's, it's kind of a different atmosphere than he expected there's no there's no big smiles no hearty handshakes no warm pats on the back it's kind of a somber attitude Ananias doesn't ask any questions but Peter does Peter says Ananias why'd you let Satan get hold of you and make you lie to the Holy Spirit like that even that money I mean, I mean, didn't it, didn't it belong to you, that land? And even after you sold it, the money was yours to do with whatever you wanted to do. How could you do something like that? How could you lie to God like that? The questions are very simple, but they're very convicting. In fact, they're, they're so piercing that Ananias drops dead right then and there. After about three hours... Sapphira says, man, he's been gone a long time. I wonder what's going on. So, so she goes down to the church to, to, to see if she can find out what's keeping him. He's already been taken out by now, and Peter's there. And just to make sure, he gives her every opportunity to not participate in that deception. He asks her how much they sold the land for. He said, did you sell it for this? She says, yeah, yeah, that was it. And he says, why are you why did you guys conspire to do this? Why, why are you doing this? 
And he lets her know what happened to Ananias, and she drops dead right there. The same guys carry her out. Verse 11 says, great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these things. Man, I guess so. That's understandable, isn't it? People around, walking around perfectly healthy and then dropping dead. I mean, this business of following Jesus isn't something we need to take real lightly, apparently. But it, it demands that we ask a question of ours. I mean, why did Ananias and Sapphira experience such severe consequences of their actions? Uh, we, we certainly don't condone what they did. We're not saying that was what they should have done, but, but was that really necessary? I mean, isn't following Jesus about receiving his grace and his forgiveness and mercy? I mean, can any of us here today say that we have never slightly misrepresented who we were or what we were doing? Well, let me be the first to say, I don't have a definitive answer for why this happened like this. Some, some people have suggested it's, it's because of the unique situation at the very beginning of the church. I mean, the church was in its infancy. And when we have a newborn, we, we don't treat them like we do an adult or even an older child. We take incredible care for that, that little child because they're so vulnerable. And maybe in the, in the infancy of the church, there was a vulnerability that God said, we just can't let this go on. I, I don't know. But we do know a couple of things. First, because God is a God of truth. Lying and deception are completely incompatible, antithetical to what he's about. Proverbs 6 tells us that he hates a lying tongue because deception is an insidious thing that undermines and contaminates what's good. It can't be allowed to just proliferate. There's perhaps no situation that Jesus responded to with greater intensity than people trying to deceive other people to make them think they were something they weren't. We, we see it over and over again. He, he called people hypocrites. Now, you call somebody a hypocrite today, and immediately they are highly offended. We get that. We understand that. It wasn't exactly the way in Jesus' day because this was the word in Jesus' day that they used for uh, an actor in a theater. Greek theater was real big. And, and, and the actors in the theater back in those days would wear a mask. And then they would say things and do things in a way that, that was pretending to be someone else. And, and basically, this is the word. He, what he called people that were acting like that, were playing a role, he, he called them the word that they used for an actor. But there was no missing the point of what he was saying. Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus talking about people that do that, says everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and, and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. And he goes on and on talking about that. And then in verse 28 of that chapter, he says, to them, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with 
hypocrisy and lawlessness. Not real flattering things to hear. Deception is just incompatible with following Jesus. But there's a second part of this. It's not just that it was deceptive. There's a second dimension of this, I think, that's very significant. You see, this is about using the church, using God's people to promote yourself, deceiving other people so that you'll look good, enhancing their own reputation, their own image, their own self-esteem. I think John Boykin captured the essence of this in this statement. He says, what was so bad about the Pharisees' hypocrisy? If we think of it as consisting merely in their teaching or pretending one thing while in fact practicing something contradictory, we'll miss Jesus' main point. What he nailed them for was that they were using God and the things of God as a means to some other end. That's what was insidious about the Pharisees' example. Theirs was a problem of priorities. Their first priority was social status, to which end God was but a means. What greater affront could there be? Better to ignore him altogether than to exploit him as a means to something else that you value more highly. You you see, in the final analysis, this is the ultimate idolatry, making it about us instead of God, wanting the glory for ourselves instead of having God receive the glory. Now, why would anyone do that? Well, what it stems from is a lack of trust, lack of believing that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. You see, when we do what we do, we do it because of how we feel. And we feel that way because of what we believe. I mean, we've talked about this before. This is not complicated. You know, if, you, if you're asleep and you hear a fire alarm and you think it's just a false alarm, you're probably going to just roll over and try to go back to sleep. But if you think it's real, if you think there's a fire there, there's no way that's going to happen. Because the, your, your heart's rushing, the adrenaline is pumping, you're, you, you, you just have all this anxiety that comes up and you, you're immediately you're going to jump up and you're going to try, to try to put out the fire or at least get to safety. Because what we believe that there really is a fire determines how we feel. We get very anxious, which, which motivates us to act. It, it's just, it just always works that way in one form or another. So here's the question. Do we really believe God is going to give us enough? Enough affirmation. Enough esteem. If I don't believe that, then I'm going to look for that in other ways, like Ananias and Sapphira. And usually we'll find it, just like they did. But Jesus has something to say about that. In the next chapter of Matthew, what we read a minute ago, Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful. When you do the good things, don't do them in front of people to be seen by them. If you do that, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to the poor, don't be like the hypocrites. 
the actors, they, they blow trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets so that people will see them and honor them. I tell you the truth, those hypocrites already have their full reward. So when you give to the poor, don't let anyone know what you're doing. Your giving should be done in secret. Your father can see what's done in secret, and he will reward you. Jesus says, you've received your reward in full. What we have to understand is, this isn't a matter of God saying, oh, well, you didn't include me, so I'm going to take my toys and go home. I'm not going to give you anything. It's not a matter of God getting angry and being punitive. It's simply a matter of the fact that God doesn't butt in where he's not wanted. And if if what I am doing is all about the whole purpose is so that other people, is this fading in and out or is it me? It is, okay, I'll go back here. Let's do Is this better? If, if what we're doing really isn't about God and he knows that, then he just very graciously stays out of our business. Because what we're doing is really all about letting other people think we're really something. And God very courteously doesn't interfere. He allows us to go about getting the kind of kudos we want from other people and doesn't interrupt. You see, ultimately, this is a matter of the heart. Jesus never said, oh, don't, good, don't do good things for people. To the contrary, we should. And it's really, the point is really not, oh, make sure nobody ever knows what you're doing. The point is, don't do it so that everybody will think you're so great. Don't try to build up your own image. So what do we do? Uh, a couple of suggestions as we close. First, uh, do good things for other people. Do them anonymously. Man, it's, it's hard when people know good stuff that you're doing. It's hard not to feel pride, to feel good about that. Just, just keep it between you and God. Howard Hendricks was a preacher at a church in Washington, D.C. several years ago, and they had a, a, would have a prayer breakfast, I think, once a month or something. Men would come and pray. And after it was over, some of them kind of rubbed shoulders with important people and others had to hurry off to get to their work. And he said one morning when it was over, he looked over and over, way over to the side, there was somebody helping stack chairs and pick up napkins from the floor and stuff like that. And he said then he did a double take. He looked again and it was Senator Mark Hatfield. He said, if you're so impressed with the fact that you're a senator, you don't stack chairs and pick up napkins. And if we think that we're really something for the church, we're not going to serve other people that well. We live to be served. So, so do good things for others, but, but do it anonymously. Second, give. Give to other people. But do it secretly. It's not hard to get people to give some real money if they get a lot of, a lot of fanfare out of it. We, we went to 
TCU, who's my undergraduate, and when I was there, they played in a football stadium built in the 1920s. Now they have a brand new stadium, state-of-the-art everything. And it was largely financed by six people who each gave $15 million. And those people have these amazing suites in what they call the Founders Plaza. Just incredible. You can get people to give some big bucks when their name is on a plaque or a building or whatever. That's not the kind of giving God calls us to do. Years ago, a couple hundred years ago, Charles Spurgeon, preacher over in London, he and his, he and his wife, uh, like a lot of people did, they had chickens for eggs. And whenever they'd have more eggs than they could use, they would sell some. And his, his neighbors, and especially his church members, thought, man, that's kind of miserly. You know, if this guy's got more than he needs... He's not a poor guy. Why, why didn't he just give them to people? And it wasn't until years later that it was discovered that the reason they were selling the eggs is because they took every nickel they made and gave it to a poor family on the other side of town to help them out. But they never told anybody what they were doing. Give. We give it secretly. And just one other thing. When you, when you do things, do spiritual things, don't do it so that everybody notices. I mean, it's good to challenge ourselves to kind of get out of our comfort zone and do things and stretch and grow. But whether it's books you're reading or music you listen to or mission trips you go on or ministries you serve in or, or whatever it is, even the language you use. Don't do it so that people will be impressed. Because when you do that, Jesus says you got your reward. You see, heart of the matter is it's a matter of the heart. And we need to keep out of the trap of doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And then convincing ourselves we're becoming more like Jesus because we're doing that stuff. I really think we need to be saying, look at me, look at me. We just don't need to be saying that to other people. We need to be saying it to God. That's what David's prayer was in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We need to say to God, look at me. Help me see me for who I really am. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very, very much for your incredible grace. Father, keep us from the self-deception that allows us to look at all the things that we do